This is the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less. Ever wish you could re-listen to your favorite interview or segment? Do you enjoy hearing older shows for the first time in years? Then the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less is just what you need. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Greetings and welcome to this edition of the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less. Today's show comes from 2013. It is actually pulled from a Wednesday show because once upon a time, in case you didn't know, there was not only a Tuesday show, but there was also a Wednesday show. More on that later. Today's show is Dr. Barbecue himself, Ray Lampy. It is a doubleheader. Both segments, Greg and Ray, are going to catch up on brisket. Let's jump right into it. Here is Dr. Barbecue and Greg Rampy from October the 16th, 2013. All right, so we actually have uh, quite a bit to get to tonight. And a lot of this is actually going to be brisket-based. It seems like whenever you open up the proverbial floodgates of let's ask somebody questions about barbecue, uh, this brisket thing seems to uh, rear its head. And, you know, I don't know if it's fair to say that it freaks people out or that it is very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, what do you call the menacing, uh, perhaps might be a good word. But, you know, it's, I guess maybe because it's a cut that is traditionally maybe a little bit more expensive than, let's say, a pork butt or chicken, where if you screw it up, you're like, well, you know, I didn't really... I'm not out that much money. You screw up a whole packer, you know you're out 50, 60 bucks or more depending on, you know, what grade you're getting. So, you know, just in an overall sense, do you think that there's too much of a stigma put on brisket? Yeah, I, I think it's a lot of things. You know, for for one, okay, the other the alternative would be a pork butt and no matter it's almost impossible to screw it up. So, no you know, by about the third one, you're getting really good at it, and your pork butt's good. Everybody wants it. Pork pulled pork is available in the tub at the grocery store and at every restaurant known to man. I mean, it's it's a simple thing. Now, brisket's a whole nother deal. You know, it, it seems kind of similar, but it's not. It's it's about your thirtieth one that you start getting good at cooking brisket. So I think guys are frustrated by that because they want it to cook like a pork butt, and it doesn't. Or ribs, which they Everybody, they put so much effort into ribs. Guys are so into it that they seem to get really good at those or chicken. So brisket's the one that, that gives everybody fits. But you're right. It is expensive. It's, uh, and you can't get it at the store. You know, Generally, most of us can't get it at the grocery store. So it's sort of this, this pie in the sky, uh, aside from being really hard to cook. So, yeah, I, I'm not surprised to see these questions. All right, so here's the first question. It's actually a Twitter or a tweet for all the non-technically challenged people out there, at JoshSports67. So look, I'm sure he's looking for new followers, so follow at JoshSports67. What temperature do you cook brisket at also? Rub suggestions, and maybe, right, we should make it a little bit more broad-scoped because I did get a question from Josh Bailey as well asking me about how to get good, consistent results in the backyard as well. Yeah, I, you know, one of the other things about brisket is everybody is looking for the magic bullet, you know. <laughs> what's the secret rub that's going to somehow make it good? What's the cooking temperature that's going to somehow not make it dry? And There's no such thing as that, you know. It's uh, cooking temperature, let's just start there. Oh, for me, 
225 to 250, 260. I'm not a psycho temperature watcher. Uh, I teach a lot of men how to cook barbecue, and they all want to make it an engineering project. Come on, man. You know the temperature. It's barbecue. <laughs> now, you want to start talking about cooking hot and fast? I'm, I'm out on that. I, I'm not a fan of that. It doesn't mean I won't do it once in a pinch when I have to, but I happen to think cooking barbecue, there's one way to do it, and you cook it at about 250 degrees. All right, so as far as, I guess, uh, rub is concerned, is there, and look, I mean, honestly, there's, uh, what, 857,000 different rubs out there available on the market today. So, I mean, it's not even like it was five or six years ago. I mean, it's just proliferated like crazy. But is there a flavor profile that might work better with a brisket versus just, you know, puking out a bunch of different names? Well, yeah, hell, it's not the same as it was a week ago. There's yeah, 100 right. new ones, I think, you know. Traditionally with brisket, we think about, uh, I think a lot of salt on beef is important, but that's kind of a no-brainer. Uh, pepper, peppery, uh, Chris Capel's uh, cowlick rub is a good one. I happen to think it needs salt, and I always tease him that if he'd add more salt and MSG to his rubs, they'd really be good. But um, I think that's a real peppery rub, and I like that one a lot, frankly. So a lot of salt, a lot of pepper to me. You know, the, the, the school of thought is that you wouldn't want to put sweet on brisket, but, uh, you know, in the contest world, man, there's a whole lot of sugar getting put on briskets. I never thought, I never agreed with that. I always put sugar, as much sugar on my briskets as I did on my pork butts when I was doing well and never had a problem with that. So I think that's, a, that's something we all want to think that you don't put a lot of sugar on brisket, but I, I don't agree with that. So I think, frankly, any of the normal barbecue rubs that you're using are going to be just fine. I, I would maybe add a little bit of either red pepper or black pepper, or maybe a little bit of both. But but other than that, I, I don't think about it as very different. Once again, guys are looking for a magic bullet, and I just don't think it exists. So when we talk about the word consistency, and it doesn't, you know, this doesn't have to be, you know, related to competition, although there is one competition question uh, that is spiced in here as far as uh, brisket is are concerned. But, you know, just like me, a guy in the backyard, and you cook a lot in the backyard too, Ray. I mean, let's be honest. What kind of a process can you institute, or are there things that you should do across your brisket cook to allow you to at least get some type of a consistent product, you know, whether you're doing it every week or, you know, every other month? Yeah, these days I cook more in the backyard than anywhere else, frankly. It's kind of weird. But, um, well, you know, it's funny. When I started years ago, we would buy the best quality choice briskets we could get our hands on. And we would we didn't really inject them with anything. So you always cook two. And inevitably, they would come out different. We, we wrapped them at some point. It was pretty traditional what we have now. You wrap it in, you know, three-quarters of the way through the cooking and cooked them up to about 200 degrees. But without all these injections and everything, they were radically different. You'd often get one that was completely different than the other. Now it seems like, you know, we buy these these high-quality briskets, and, and the packers, even at the choice level, understand what we're looking for, and they're pulling them, and they show up in the in the market. Between that and the, the crazy phosphate injections and the high-quality rubs and the smokers that, that stay right on temp like, like magic, um, I don't know who's cooking two briskets anymore. I, I, I quit years ago because there was just no reason to. They were coming out exactly the same. Um, so, I, you know, it, it, it's like everything else. Just do everything the same way. The Keep your notebook and, and know what temperature you're cooking at. But all these variables, gosh, the, the competition guys in particular, 
they've they've eliminated them all. These smokers are like you know magic. They stay right on temp. They they get the exact size brisket they want. They get these high quality briskets. They inject them with phosphates, and it comes out the same every week. It's pretty impressive. For the home cook in the backyard, if you've got like a, a crappy stick burner or something where you're having a hard time with the temperature, temperature, steady temperature is really important. Uh, I think that's probably the key. Leave all the fat on and just don't overcook it. I, I'm not a fan of cooking brisket real fast. If you know the science of how meat works, uh, cooking it too fast is going to have all the fat run out of it. And it's just not, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, sous vide. Re read about sous vide if you don't know anything about it. It's a process where they, the meat never gets above 145 or 150 degrees, and they hold it for an extended period of time, and it loses basically zero weight and zero fat. And that's very much related to barbecue if you're cooking it nice and slow. You won't lose a lot of fat, and you won't lose all the collagen. Eventually, it will break down. It's going to take a little bit longer. Um, I'm getting off on a different tangent there. I don't know what that has to do with consistency, but whatever it is, I guess, that you do, do it the same every time. The question that I ask on Tuesday's show to the competition cooks is, you know, uh, at one point, the guy that's leading the points, Chase, said that he was starting to see perhaps a trend of people getting away from injecting. Uh, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. Everybody I've ever asked after that statement has said completely the opposite. But, you know, in this day and age for a backyard cook, because there are so many injections widely available, is injection commonly thought of as it's only to be done in competitions and I shouldn't do it in the backyard? And if so, is that something that people should start introducing to their home barbecue arsenal? Oh, I think uh, injecting briskets is something you should do for sure. I think it's great. I was one of the uh, original guys. I used to talk to Joe Ames, and he told us what that was all about, the Fab B. Um, I'm a big fan of it. I, I taught a lot of guys how to use it back in the day. I was like the crack crack dealer uh, showing guys how to use that stuff. But I'm a big fan of it. Yeah, I, I, I would use it at home, absolutely. You know, sometimes I like my brisket to be a little different anyway. Though I like to cook it plain without the injection at home. But I, had, but I understand how brisket works, and it's going to be a little bit drier, and it might be a little chewy when I take it off, or it might turn into pot roast if I wrap it and leave it wrapped too long. I'm not that worried about it at home. I'm going to eat it that way. I may want to try and cook it like a Texas restaurant-style brisket with just salt and pepper and let it get a little crusty on the outside. So I may choose to do that that day. But if I'm trying to make the perfect brisket to have for Christmas dinner, I would definitely use the injection products. Now, I'm not familiar with all the new ones that are out there. I was Fab B and, and David from Butcher's when he was getting started. I tried some of his products early on and helped him. Uh, well, helped him as much as I could, but I, I kind of guided him because. To put in your request for a future show, please contact John Solberg via email at John, J-O-N, at the BBQCentralShow.com. That is right. You got an idea for a show? Shoot me an email. You don't like the show? Shoot me an email. If you love the show, shoot Greg an email. That's Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. All right, enough of that. I'll catch up with you here in a few minutes. Let's finish up with Greg and Ray from October the 16th, 2013. Uh, well, helped him as much as I could, but I, I kind of guided him because if you remember, there was a time when we couldn't get Fab B, and that's what kind of created some of these other ones. Um, but as far as I know, they're all very similar, and the phosphates are the key 
in my mind, to keeping the brisket juicy. So if your brisket's getting dry, order up some of that stuff and inject it in there, and you may see a big difference. Is there, we'll move on to the next question here in just a second, but perhaps all of these questions are leading to this speculation, and you know maybe you agree or disagree with it. There's a lot of backyard guys like myself that want to produce really great barbecue. You know, I talk to a lot of top teams out there, and uh, maybe in my own mind, when I'm in the backyard and I fire up the cooker, I'm competing against myself. I have no desire to actually get out there and do it on the competition circuit and get my balls kicked in. Absolutely not. However, you know, when it's by myself, I might picture myself in a field with all these other teams, and, and I want to make a good brisket. Do you think that secretly there's a lot of guys like myself that don't really want to get out on the competition scene, but when they fired up in the backyard, they want to produce competition quality barbecue. Is that kind of where we're getting at now? Oh, I think so. Absolutely. I think that's why guys like Myron and, and myself and Chris and have become so popular because they think we have that. You know, they want to know about the competition guys. You know, we're we're so into this thing. We understand the difference between competition barbecue and what we call I call eating barbecue. Yeah. But most people don't. That, yeah, they absolutely want to create competition barbecue. That's why all these rubs are on the market and are being successful. That's why the books all sell. That's why people all want to buy the smokers like the, the guys, the competition guys have. Absolutely. I, and, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think it's great. Uh, it, it's, you get to a certain level where you kind of learn so much about it that you realize that maybe that's not the best thing to want to eat because it, it's just a little too sweet for me and a little too tender. But but I don't think there's anything wrong with home guys trying to emulate it. I'm I'm I sure hope they keep wanting to do that, or I may lose uh, some fan base. Absolutely. Uh, we're talking with Ray Lampy in our weekly Ask Doctor Barbecue segment. His website drbbq.com, and of course you can go to askdrbbq.com if you want to submit a question here for a future show. And we've been getting a large amount rolling in over the last couple of weeks, uh, which leads me to the next question. Still brisket based from Mike Pagel. It says, Dr. Barbecue, I'll be cooking an 11 to 14 pound American Kobe brisket at this weekend's competition. Uh, we call that Wagyu in this country because, of course, there's no such thing as American Kobe, Mike, but of course you knew that. You're just being cute. Uh, I'll be using my 22 inch Weber Smoky Mountain, cooking at 225, foiling about five hours in, and I tend on pulling it at 195 to 200 degrees. So the questions are these. Will this type of meat cook faster or slower than choice brisket? That's question number one. Uh, my experience is that it doesn't. I, I know that's the, you know, what everybody wants to talk about. My experience is really that it doesn't. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I've cooked a lot of both of them. I never noticed that big of a difference between them, frankly. I don't know. Um, I, I know that a lot of people talk about it, but, but hell, it sounds like this guy's got it all figured out anyway. <laughs> Does that sound like an engineering project or? Uh, well, I mean, it's. Aside from the fact he's got it all laid out, I mean, there is a, a fairly big price difference between the two, though, right? Oh, yeah. Well, sure there is. I mean, it's like double, I think. I, I mean, I bet when I was, you know, competing a couple years ago, I kind of decided to take it back up pretty seriously, and I did win a couple of contests, and I, I didn't think there was any way to... You had to just get them. For one, the quality of the meat is, is outstanding, but... Also, you're getting big, meaty, thick, wide briskets that you can't always get. I don't know where else to get. In Florida, I don't know where to get those. I guess I can rub was promoting uh, his meat buddy there in Winter Haven. I guess I could drive over there. But if I just call up one of the big suppliers, that I know that that thing 
$150 later is going to show up at my house and it's going to be what I want. So if you're a legit competitor, I think it's the only way to go. If nothing else, because of size and shape, but quality as well. Uh, it's my understanding that they've bred some of those Wagyu with some uh, some of our more common domestic animals at this point. So I don't think the it's that radically different of meat anymore. It's just really good quality. Uh, I've seen some real Kobe over the years and or whatever was as close as you could get, and it was very different. It was insanely marbled, and it was really soft, and, and that's not what I see when I buy it now. But what I do see is a kick-ass brisket, so I think it's worth it, um, but I, I don't know. I, and, you know, again, you can't time barbecue. Just get over that. Put it on. Briskets hold really well for a few hours, and and just get the thing cooked and hold on to it. You know, I I don't know. I You can't time that stuff. I, I don't I'm, I'm pleading the fifth on that one. I don't have an answer. <laughs> the second part of the question kind of leads back to what we were talking about as injection. But, you know, when you look at those higher grade or higher quality briskets, typically you associate that with, as you said, you know, a lot more marbling, potentially softer. So does injecting this meat lead to a potentially mushy product at the end? No, definitely not mushy. Because if you understand what the phosphates do, they're not tenderizers. It's really... It's about keeping the meat from drying out. Uh, so those aren't tenderizers. I don't think that creates mushy meat. Uh, there's some people that think the higher grade meat gets a little mushy versus uh, lower grade brisket, and it sort of does. I mean, the concept of cooking a brisket is you have this horrible shoe leather piece of meat, and you do your magic on it, and it melts. Well, those those Wagyu briskets, you could probably take a hunk off and grill it and, it, and eat it. It would be pretty edible, I think. So. I, I, no, it's not going to make it mushy. Uh, it's, it seems kind of a shame to me to take that beautiful piece of meat and inject it. But I know when I got, again, a couple of years ago, I called in a lot of favors because that helped a lot of guys over the years. And almost everybody I talked to was buying those crazy high-end briskets and pumping them death to death. So I did, and I did well with it. So uh, it's kind of a shame to me. At home, I probably wouldn't. If I bothered to buy a $150 brisket to cook at home, I don't think I would inject it, and I think, see, one of the problems with brisket, too, though, is guys don't really know what it's supposed to be. They want it to taste and feel like pork butt in their mouth. They want it to taste and feel like maybe roast beef or tri-tip, and it's not. It's a whole different thing. If you go to those barbecue restaurants in Texas and eat brisket, you learn to understand it does have a little texture to it. It is a little crunchy on the outside. You do need to have a big sweet tea sitting next to you because it's kind of a, that's what brisket is, and, and a lot of guys don't. They've never really had it, so they don't quite understand. They want it to be like a pork butt. Ray Lampy joining us here on the weekly Ask a Dr. Barbecue segment. All right, so let's kind of transition over. We'll stick with the beef protein here. Uh, this email question coming in from Bud Clark, and he's asking, best tri-tip recipe for the Big Green Egg? And I guess it could be any cooker, but obviously he's a Big Green Egg fan. You're the corporate chef for Big Green Egg. I think... Over your right shoulder on the top of that bookcase, you have, like, the smallest big green egg ever on the face of the earth. Look at that. I just bought it on eBay. I, it's it's brand new. Well, that cook? I don't know, I'm to figure out what year it is, but it's brand new, and it's, like, one of the original Japanese ones. Well, Isn't it cool? Would it cook if you put fuel in it? Oh, yeah, it's fine. Wow. But, it, it you know, it's virginal. I don't want to tarnish <laughs> it. Yeah, we don't want to dirty that up. Absolutely not. Um, all right, so I guess, first of all, if people aren't familiar, especially, you know, maybe middle of the country to east coast, it might not be familiar as the term tri-tip. Obviously, the West Coasters, that's kind of where it lives and breathes. But you know, maybe a little background about that cut of meat and then uh, a recipe that you like. 
Yeah, it's uh, definitely a California with a whole West Coast thing. You go Portland, Seattle, uh, California, they are eating the heck out of those things. It's kind of cool. It's, it's like going to Texas and, and there's a meat case full of beautiful briskets. You, you're amazed the first time you see it. In California, you'll see tri-tips at a good price and there'll be a case full of them. Down here, I have to ask the guy at Publix if he has some. And they usually do, actually. And he'll get it out of the back, but they just cut them into steaks because people don't know what it is. It's a piece of the sirloin. It's one muscle of the sirloin, and it's triangular shaped, kind of like a, a, a boomerang shape almost, but it's thicker on the one side. And when you look at it, when, if you buy one, leave a little fat on the one side of it, and then but look at the grain very seriously before you go cook it because it's much like a flank steak where you, if, you, if you were to slice it against the grain, it's going to be a disaster versus slicing it if you were to slice with the grain versus slicing it. So pay attention to the grain always. There it is. Yeah, see, see that grain that's going up and down on it? Yeah. So it's kind of weird. you got to slice it weirdly. Don't just start slicing it like from the top to the bottom because you're not going to be going against the grain. You want to go against the grain. The way I like to cook it, that thing is probably about two pounds. Um, I like to cook it sort of slow grill. And actually, it's a perfect thing for a big green egg because you're cooking direct, but you can close the lid and calm the fire down. Sear it a little bit at first, but ultimately you want it to get to just like a beef roast, about 120 in the middle, 125. I wouldn't go past that unless you, you know, if you like it more than that, it's probably not a good choice for you because if you overcook it, it's going to be tough. Now, there's guys that smoke them way beyond and get them tender and do pretty well with them. For me personally, I like it grilled till it's about 120 in the middle. Let it rest like any beef roast for about five or 10 minutes on the board and make sure you slice it thinly against the grain and put it on some sandwiches and you'll be very happy. As for a rub, kind of what I was talking about with um, with brisket before, I think a lot of salt, a lot of pepper, a lot of garlic. Uh, and they, The legendary Santa Maria town out there in California where they have, they cook it over red oak. Yep. They just burn big piles of red oak and they have those grills with a big wheel where it goes up and down. And that, so what they do is drop it down, sear it, and then move it up a little bit till it gets up to temp. Um, a lot of garlic, a lot of salt, a lot of pepper. There's a lot of brisket talk, followed up by a little bit of tri-tip talk. A lot more information in this show. If you'd like to get the complete episode, head over to thebbqcentralshow.com. There will be a link in the show notes for this best moment show. It'll take you right to the complete show. Hey, while you're over there, do some poking around. There's a great search feature over at thebarbecuecentralshow.com. Type in what you'd like. It will bring it up for you. You'll be surprised at what you can find with that. It's a so much information. I say it all the time. While you're over there at thebarbecuecentralshow.com, please subscribe to the Barbecue Central Show via podcast. You'll never miss an episode of this show or the really big barbecue show again. Thank you so much for checking it out. Until next time on the best moments of the Barbecue Central Show in 10 minutes or less, I'm your host, John Solberg. I look forward to talking to you again soon.